Pigweed here. Today we review a porter and discuss J.R.R. Tolkien. Hello and welcome to Beer and Conversation with Pigweed and Crow Hill. Good evening, Crow Hill. Good evening, Pigweed. So, uh, what's on your mind? Well, uh, Niggle and Giles. Niggle and Giles, Niggle and Giles, yes. <laughs> it's time for PNC's Shortcut to the Classics. Ah, uh, yes, where we read great books by the world's great authors, so long as they aren't too long. Yes, and so long as they aren't too long. But I keep it under 100 pages. This is well under that for though. And so, for the show tonight, we explore a couple of short stories by Tolkien. And, of course, we have a, a guest here tonight. Uh, of course we do. Welcome, welcome. Welcome, Longinus. All right, and tonight we uh, it's going to go go through a couple short Tolkien stories, but first we have to drink this crazy beer. <laughs> yeah, what do we have here? Yeah. Sweet baby banana. Oh, I've heard of sweet baby Jesus. Yeah, which is a chocolate peanut butter porter. Yes. Well, what do we have here? Chocolate peanut butter banana porter. Wow. Okay. <laughs> you know, All right. I don't know why it is that porters seem to call out to brewers to add weird things to them. You know, you don't yeah. see like a banana IPA or something like that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right, you know. But All porters, right. people add a lot. I can smell some peanut butter in there. Uh, yeah, I'm smelling peanut butter. I'm tasting chocolate first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. There's I, a oh, there's a banana. Yeah, I tasted a little banana there. Yes. But it's light on the banana. It's light on the banana. It's stronger it's on the... fine. Yeah. Stronger <laughs> on the peanut butter and and the chocolate. But there mm -hmm. is a touch of banana in there. What do you think, Longinus? Can you taste the banana? I could taste all three of them. Yeah. And it's not too uh, too overwhelming. Mm -hmm. I'm always afraid these things are going to be overwhelming. I know. It's Sometimes it's, it's like if one banana is good, the hundred is better. But no, it's mm -hmm. not like that. This is light. 6.2, mm -hmm. a little pretty robust for yeah. a porter yeah well I, I said it's light no it's not it's not at not all light, light. it's just <laughs> like in terms of the fact that it has chocolate peanut butter and banana in it all three of those flavors don't hit you over the head they're just mm, yeah they're in there and it's not too sweet too which mm -hmm. is something i thought it might be mm -hmm. okay and it's a local uh, baltimore duclaw yeah all right well done duclaw uh, keep them coming. You know, send us another case and we'll review another one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. J-R-R. -R. What's the J and the R and the R? John Rudolph Ruel or something like that. Yeah. Ru yeah. I'm I forgot. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. The, the R's and the R's confuse me. Right. Um, so he was born in 1892. Okay. Lived till 1973. He was a soldier in World War I. Yeah. Um, born in South Africa. But moved to England. Yeah, I saw, I saw it said, where he was born, it said, Orange Free State. Yeah. Orange Free yeah, State. Yeah, what the heck is that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? So it was an independent colony or something in, in South, South Africa. Africa. Okay. Right. And uh, moved to England with his mother and younger brother after his father died. Um, he was always fascinated by languages and made up his own languages and alphabets and weird stuff. Uh, <laughs> one of these guys who was just, you know, too smart from the beginning. Became a professor of English language and literature and, and studied philology, which we can talk about more. Yeah, um, I do want to talk At about. Oxford, he met C.S. Lewis, so they became fast friends. Uh -huh. And they started this group called the Inklings, which was... Wasn't there other, another heavy hitter at, yeah, at, at, yes. the, at the time? Um, yeah, there were four of, four of the big ones in the Inklings, and the names are escaping. Williams was one of them. He wrote some weird stuff. Which Where I was uh, Sherlock Holmes? Uh, at this? Was he not that old? 
Not as old as these guys? No, no, no. Sherlock Holmes was... You mean Arthur Conan Doyle? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that was much earlier. Oh, than, right. Yeah, than these guys. Right. So uh, his first... The book that he came out with first was The Hobbit. Released in 1937, which is a little earlier than I than I thought. Well, I, that's, I actually thought, I thought the other thing. I thought all of them were in the 30s. Oh, yes. Okay. So, but so the, the trilogy is is later, 54 and 55. Okay, is when the Lord of the Rings came out, and became one of the best-selling novels of all time. Uh, I was married and, to, but it was so it was, but it was well, parts one and two in each of them. So it was yeah, six yeah. books it's released as six, three books. Yes. I know it's weird because people call it. I wonder if there's like a reason, like a, for editorial or printing reasons or whatever that they. I just, don't know. It's yeah. It is funny that people think of it as a trilogy, but it's actually six books uh-huh. when you yeah. when you look inside. Each each of the three books are divided into two. Married to Edith had four children. Um, he was specialized in philology, which is the study yeah. of languages and their historical development. But apparently, both he and Lewis were into philology. Is this um, still a thing? Or is I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think. I think like. Um, like linguistics. Uh, this is, it's been fully in, in, in linguistics. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 All right. And now that goes all over the place. It goes into uh, cognitive physiology and that kind of thing, as well as philology. Yeah. Philology. So one of his famous <laughs> things on the on the academic side was his analysis of Beowulf. Huh. Um, and he was an expert in Old English and Middle English. He knew, he knew Norse. I mean, he knew like seven <laughs> languages or something. You know, one and of half these crazy guys. Dead languages. Dead yeah. languages. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, these guys These guys were just... Uh, right. Lewis and Tolkien both were just astonishing scholars in the, the depth of the things that they knew. He made up his own languages for the Lord of the Rings, like Elvish and oh, right. uh, Dwarvish. And, uh, he, he made up the whole languages, the alphabet, everything. And all those Nuts. things lie behind the story. And every once in a while, there's like a poem in Elvish. It's like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> great, thanks. And there are guys like you who probably can recite them. Uh, I can recite some of them, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Terrifying. Yes. All right, so um, that's Tolkien. Yeah. Quite, quite the man. Uh, did, did a lot and wrote a book that's just had this amazing, enduring... Uh, legacy, but we're not going to read The Lord of the Rings. Or no, the we're, it's too long for our purposes. <laughs> too long. Yes. So I hunted around to find some things that I thought would be representative. And I, I picked Leaf by Niggle yeah. and Farmer Giles of Ham. Yeah, I got choices. So, so uh, we're going to start with Leaf by Niggle? Uh, yes. So uh, this is this is back in the 30s. So this is closer to The Hobbit, but. Right. right? Yeah. 1945, actually. First, first published in 1945. Okay. Now, yeah. was it published in a magazine? Was it what? What was it? Published That's a good. Question. It's very short, right? Yeah, it's, it's fairly yeah. short. It could have been. I don't know where it was first published. That's a good question. But it's it's a it's a strange story. It is it is yeah. it is strange. Let's go through the nuts and bolts first. Yeah, just okay. the story itself, yeah. and then we'll do the analysis. Right. Okay. So uh, we've got a little a little fella named, named Niggle. Named Niggle with a red beard and a. Not, the first part is just sort of lays out the two main characters in the beginning. You got yeah. Niggle and his neighbor Parrish. Parrish, right? And Niggle mm-hmm. is obsessed with this painting. Yeah, he's trying to paint a tree, and he keeps getting interrupted yeah. by visitors and people who need want him, want him to do do favors for right. him. Mm-hmm. And uh, he so so Parrish is uh, come, when he comes over. Come, his wife is sick, and the rain is coming through the roof. And... <laughs> right. One thing, just a little side note here yeah. that, I, that I find fascinating about Tolkien is 
Tolkien was married to Edith, loved his wife, had a great family life, but so many of his characters are bachelors. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I don't know, know why uh, that is. It's kind of interesting. Right. But N- N- Niggle is a bachelor, and, yeah. and Parrish had a wife. But uh, so yeah, he's he gets annoyed by Parrish coming over and interrupting him all the time. It's like you know he wants to be painting, and he can. And, he, and Parrish has no interest in his painting. It is kind of concerned that Niggle is not keeping up his garden. Yes, <laughs> yes, because Niggle is very concerned about. It. I'm sorry, Parrish is very concerned about his garden. And then uh, there's some trouble, and Niggle has to go out to the doctor on behalf of Parrish's wife. And then the the like the the inspectors come in. <laughs> yeah. So then you get it right. So then you, you have some bureaucrats. Yeah. Town, town bureaucrats come through, and uh, they say, "What? That you you have an obligation to to, right, to help your neighbor? Yeah. Something along mm-hmm. those lines, right? The, the law of the land. It was it was actually interesting that that this yeah. was a law. Yeah, that it was, it was ex- expected that you're going to that you're going to help out your neighbor with this house. And he says, "But houses come first. That is the law. Houses come first. Yeah, yeah, that is right. the law." And he went. He says, "I went to town and I told the builders to come out here." And then they go, right. They never did. They go, "Well, you got some canvas." Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's my art. Yeah. Yeah. The, the inspectors say, you should have helped your neighbor to make temporary repairs and prevent the damage from getting more costly to mend than necessary. That is the law. There's plenty of material here. Canvas, wood, waterproof paint. And, and it's like, really? I mean, is that really the Could you imagine a city where that's the law? You have to help your neighbor fix his house? It's kind of interesting. I, I thought it was interesting that the inspectors were all dressed in black. Uh, okay. There might be some significance to that. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. all kinds yeah. of underlying yeah. symbolism. Yeah. There are some little symbols. Yeah. And, uh, so, uh, all right, where are, where are we? Yeah, yeah, keep on going. Yeah, so the, the he's, he has this journey coming up that keeps getting getting mentioned. Yes. That he's he's not prepared for, yes. he doesn't feel like preparing for he it. He doesn't want to go on it. He keeps, yeah, he doesn't want to go on it, and he keeps getting reminded <laughs> about how and this, at, the, at the same time that the building inspector is there, yeah. another guy shows up in a carriage and says, oh, oh, it's time to go on your journey. Yeah, by the way, you got to go. go. Yeah. I'm not even packed. Yeah. So he has to grab a couple bags, and, and he ends up getting on the train, or going on this journey in a, in a, in a cart or something, mm. and then ends up on a train, doesn't have anything, and ends up in a workhouse, <laughs> yeah. yeah, which is strange. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, strange. I don't yeah. know how he ended up in the workhouse. Was it just yeah. he just kind of shows up there? Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. The driver just takes him there, and all of a sudden his job we, is to do some really kind of unpleasant work all yeah. the time. Yeah. So his work, his work in the workhouse is uh, basically doing some of the things that he was good at in life, like painting. But it wasn't artistic painting. No. It was just like. Painting walls, you know that, okay. that kind of thing. So he's he's doing a lot of just difficult, uninteresting, grinding work in the workhouse because he didn't prepare for his journey. Right. Yeah. And then and then what? Then then there's an evaluation. Right. Yeah. And there's two characters who evaluate the first voice and the second voice. Yes. So is, wait, wait, it, very ominous. Yeah. It is. It's like you're. It's mysterious. Like, yes. Like, like, like you don't feel like they're in the same room, right? Or yeah. He's, they're behind a curtain or something. It they don't exactly say, but right. you don't get that there's like a face-to-face interaction. Right. And they're evaluating. And they're nameless. Right. And then and, and the first voice is the judgmental voice, and the second voice is the is the kind voice. Yeah. That's, that's trying to trying to help here. cutting them some slack. And eventually, he graduates from the workhouse and he moves into. Uh, he takes another journey on a train, and goes to a, a like a. Uh, 
I don't know. It's like a big field or something, right? Right. So again, when he, the the train itself gives you the impression that you're at a big city, mm-hmm. and then he gets out, and it's a meadow with a, yeah. with a bicycle. Yeah, his name on it with his bicycle, actually. Yeah, <laughs> and and in the middle of this big field is his tree that he's been trying to he's paint all painting, this time. Right. Yeah, right. So, it, which is kind of interesting. Very. And he yeah. he um, he stays there for a while, and then eventually Parrish shows up. And Parrish went through the also went through the workhouse, and because Niggle had, no, yeah, right. During his evaluation, he speaks very kindly. Yes, he of speaks Parrish, kindly of Parrish, and because and of said that, he wanted yeah, to see Parrish, it. Right. Yeah, and and because of that, Parrish apparently got got further along than uh, he, that's actually and, an interesting point. Yes, and he and he and Parrish recognizes that he comes and says it's because you put in a good word for me that the second voice, you know, cut me some slack and let me come here, and he and he kind of dismisses because well. Let's let's give the second voice the credit. It wasn't, right. it wasn't me. It was yeah. the second voice. Right. Yeah. So Which is nice of it, right? yeah. yeah. So then uh, they become Humbly. friends and they build a, in a way that they not that they never had before. Right. And they were they were very uh, helpful to one another. They started to build a house, and then Niggle was invited to move on, but Parrish had to wait for his wife. Yeah, but right. it's so to move on to where and why and you know yeah. kind, of, kind of up, kind of up to the you know to the mountains and there's right. a guide but there's a guide who's a shepherd who's going to help him with help him and he's getting ready to go and Paris is like eh, not that and so he then uh, what goes uh, hither and yon and 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 then when does he run into he runs into the two voices and then the two voices reevaluate him yeah and, yeah and basically he's he's doing better he's you know he's progressing or something right yeah now, but he, then does Parrish then show up? Uh, no, oh, wait, hold on. Parrish had already shown up. Parrish showed up and was out there in the field with him for a while. And and then he goes on. Um, right, so not even, he, he went, right, he went off with the, off with the shepherd, 118, uh, towards the mountains, and then, and then there's or, or, all right. This is what this is what this is the important part. Then the uh, the counselor Tompkins. Then there's some reevaluation. Yeah. So but the this, second but level of evaluation. But those characters, though, that was weird. Yes. Because those I mean, characters. I'm not sure where those characters fit. I'm not sure if they're in the 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 world of the workhouse and all that, or if they're like back in in uh, the real world. Well, well, I don't think that we can categorize any of it that way, really. No, I think that he's. It's, they're sort of. I said, they're, they're still like they're looking looking into a crystal ball yeah. at the activities. So, almost, but before right? I can discuss these guys, I have to give you my theory of the story. Yeah. Okay. So my theory of the story is the journey is death. Yeah. Right. And the workhouse is purgatory. Right. And the field is is like the beginnings of getting into heaven. So basically, Niggle uh, is not preparing for his death. So when it, when his death comes, he's got to spend some time like getting his getting his house in order, getting things straight. Once he eventually gets things straight, he's much happier, and he and Parrish are friends and all that kind of stuff. And I think this stuff about Tompkins and the the counselor and all that that's a glance back at the real world where. You know the kind of the bureaucrats and 
dealing with the the, the one leaf left of the tree. That, right, that but there's still right, but there's still some more. But there's a, another, this is the second phase of judgment. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're, they're, he's being rejudged again, and they talk about so what happened to his painting. <laughs> it got, well, it got used to fix Parrish's house. You're right. Yeah. And then there was one. So the the title. There's one little leaf left. One, one leaf one left. Little leaf, which, that, right? which, which gets preserved. Gets yeah. preserved. But he always loved doing leaves. He, I mean, that was that his was thing. his thing. Was his drawing leaves. leaves. Yeah. His painting leaves. Yeah. And they what they 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 framed it. They put it in the town museum, and uh, the, then eventually the museum burned down. Mm-hmm. Right. And so in the end, they say so. Uh, you know, what do we call this place? Right. Yeah, it's Niggles Parish or something. Like that, yes, right? Niggles Parish, which was what the train conductor said when they pulled in. Mm-hmm. So, but the, but yeah, but, 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 the, but the funny ending, uh, right? But wasn't the the metal that he goes and works with uh, Parish in that was his painting? That was the landscape of his painting. Yes. Well. Yeah. So the so I have one thing that I find interesting about this is. So Niggle is working on this painting, and then eventually his tree ends up in heaven, or what you know is sort of like heaven. So, so my question is, does that mean that he had a glimpse of heaven and tried to paint it, or does that mean that his efforts to try to create something became part of heaven? Mm-hmm. You know, like his creativity becomes part of heaven right or yeah. sort of a platonic yeah uh a his painting is a cheap imitation mm-hmm. of what that would be a platonic right yeah right yeah but i think but I, I i think tolkien is actually going for the other which is that that humans become co-creators or like they, they create new things and even though they're crappy and that god you know, in his mercy, includes them into the creation, the, into into the, the heavenly vision or whatever. So, well, well we know C.S. Lewis was was you know a, a Christian. How about Tolkien? Tolkien, yeah, was, was a Catholic. Yeah, he was, a, and he was a practicing Catholic. Yes, yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. right. So, it, 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 it's almost like uh, how, here's a, here's a riddle for you: uh, the journey that everyone has to take. No one knows when it will come, nor are they quite prepared when it gets there. Mm. <laughs> right? Right. What a riddle, it's right? Death. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, death. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. So that's right. But how about I, I have a take on Niggle's Leaf as one's legacy. Mm-hmm. So if your life is an artwork, mm-hmm. a, t- a massive tapestry to mm-hmm. you, yeah. in the end, the best you can hope for is, the, a leaf. is <laughs> to leave behind a leaf, and even that leaf is going to burn. Will only be there for, for a little a, while. Yes, right. Yeah. So it's like who, right? Like like once your That's grandchildren, good. yeah, die off, unless you're you know a great figure in history, yeah. Really, that's about all you're. You're going to leave a little teeny bit of behind for a short amount of time, and then even that will go. That's an so, interesting. It's a that, little that, that's an interesting grim, anal- but uh, yeah, I mean, analysis fair. there. So, so he's contributing a little bit to the culture, but just a tiny bit, and only for a short time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it does end up in the heavenly uh, field, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so in in this story, what does his painting? Was it good? Was it bad? Was he uh, remiss on his duties with uh, Parrish and a sick wife? 
Yes. Uh, um, so and and he should have been doing that and not. No, creating. not and not. I think I don't think there's any and not creating. I think it's mm. it's that he should have been a little more attentive to the work that he should have been doing for his neighbor and and preparing for his own journey. But I don't yeah. think there's any condemnation of of the creativity. I mean, it would be it'd be pretty weird for Tolkien to condemn creativity, you know, mm. since he's a guy who sits around and writes languages that don't exist and, and all that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, because... Well, he does because, that because he, he, I mean, he doesn't care what happens to it. I mean, right? It, it, you know, if if you're writing a language nobody can read, then you're just doing it for yourself anyway. And is that a selfish act according to Leaf yeah. by Nagel's story? Right, so these, the, the two counselors at the end, they, one of them, he's like, uh, you don't think painting is worth anything? Not not for preserving or improving or, or making any use of it? Well, of course painting has its uses, you know. Painting it, houses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. That was actually so an they, interesting in, a dialogue between those two yeah. because it was a, the clash between the pure pragmatist and the, the person who thinks that there's some value in art. There's some value in art, yeah. yes. And it's this... Well, the, yes, the greatness of the story is that it hints at so many things without being, you know, a straight-up allegory. Like, right. This is this, and that's yeah. that. I thought I thought the first voice and the second voice were God the Father and God the Son. Okay. Uh, God the Father the stricter being, one being the stricter and, one, and God right. the Son being the one who's trying to, <laughs> yeah, trying to forgiveness. Redeem, try forgiveness and redemption. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, good. So when you get to the pearly gates, you ask for Jesus and not God. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought I thought it was it was an interesting kind of a bit of an allegory, and there were some other just little things thrown in, like in the middle of the morning they gave Niggle a biscuit and a glass of wine. Well, what does that remind you of? Yeah, yes. right. Uh, yeah, 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 it's yeah. a good one. No, I didn't notice that. Yeah, yeah. I didn't get that. Yeah, so there were all these just little allusions to things that were that were theological, but not you know hit you on the head theological. But there's also uh, I also because it's because it's Tolkien, I'm I am also seeing the uh, reluctant journey. Ah, of yeah. you know the hobbits like sure. really I just can I just be left alone in my little shire <laughs> right and well aren't all yeah. right I mean I mean that yeah. that's always the beginning of all the journeys right mm. is, yeah. is that re- yeah. well well not all but the reluctance but the, 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 yes yeah. the I mean no, the whole the, the, the quest motif yeah right is always the you know the reluctant because you got to leave your your innocence and the gosh wasn't that a and good what you're comfortable time. with and everything that's that's actually right. a good point yeah. that there that is a common theme in a lot of Tolkien stories it's I'd really rather just live my life and do the normal thing and just here you're sending me on here this dreaded quest and... <laughs> right now Nigel doesn't have the story those Middle Earth elements. Right. But there's something very Tolkien-esque. And yeah. how would you characterize mm. that style that makes you feel like it's Tolkien, even if you don't have, uh, you know, dragons and, and Yeah, yeah Tolkien has a way of... A way of writing where he says something and then gives you a little aside. It's, mm. it's, a, strange, it's a strange perspective on the story. Mm-hmm. You know, like... You're telling the story and you say, you know, but most people don't do things that way. There's just little little comments mm-hmm. along along the way that is part of Tolkien's stuff. Yeah, there, yeah, and there's a a little bit of what would I, what would I say like whimsy 
Yes. You yes. know, like like even when something when things are really serious, as you know what, it's not going to get that serious, <laughs> right? Right? No, yes. No, no, no main character is going to have his head chopped off. Right. And, and well, we we, we and, get we get more of the whimsy in Farmer Giles, but yes, right. yes, there is some whimsy in there, and there's some. But silliness just style and, style wise, there's a, a certain romanticism or, or uh, it's like post realism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, in a in a kind of a Mark Twainy. <laughs> yeah, way. actually, that, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, it is sort of Mark Twainy. Yeah, I, I I I do think that you know when when you read The Hobbit and and The Lord of the the, the Rings, you fall into this incredible expanse of fa- yeah. of, of a fantasy setting, which no matter how hard you try, you can't capture in a short story. So well, I, right, I mean, yeah. I would just say. These are great short stories to read, uh, but, but I, you might just want to also read the. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm 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 a big advocate of reading the Lord of the Rings, but the uh, I was trying to pick two stories mm-hmm. that that drew out two different sides of Tolkien. One is kind of the the religious serious side, and one is the whimsical silly side. Yeah, and. Farmer Giles is definitely on the whimsical, silly side of things. Yes, and mm-hmm. all, and you and you get the Middle Earth knightsy, yeah. dragony right. business here, yes. and this is also pre um, pre L O R, right? Yes, nineteen forty nine. Forty nine. All right. Yeah, so this so is still predates by five or six years. Exactly. So yeah. Lord of the Rings was was published. What you said, fifty four, fifty five, fifty five, fifty six, something like 55, that. Fifty five, fifty six. Right. Fifty four. Sorry, fifty four, fifty five. Yeah. So so Farmer Giles of Ham is five years ahead of. Or, Man, those three years, he was really cranking it. I know. Gosh, what a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, did he when did he have a lot of it already? Sort. I mean, he had to have. A lot of it already spelled out. So my understanding, and I, I'm not an expert on this, but my understanding is that he did a lot of writing about Middle Earth that sort of eventually f- became the Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. That there were he was he was working on these on these languages, and languages can't just mm-hmm. be in the middle of nowhere. They have to have a history. They have to have a, right. a culture. They have, right. so he was doing mm-hmm. a lot of at least thinking, if not writing, about you know, who are the elves and how do they relate to these other people and this other kind? So there was there was just a lot percolating mm-hmm. in the background. That right. but it's but it's created a complete uh, fantasy genre. I mean, yeah. how many how many writers owe their inspiration? Right, all the way up to Martin. What's his? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, he's got another uh, three yeah. initials. R R. <laughs> yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three. <laughs> yes, yes. He he takes his and inspiration. The, 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 but he's, right, the game Game of Thrones. Was, we we wouldn't have Game of Thrones. Way, but, I, I, I would even suggest we wouldn't have uh, Star Wars and mm. the what nine, ten, eleven movies that were yeah. placed mm. out there, plus the half a dozen stories. Hmm. So, ready to move on to Farmer All Giles? All right, so, yeah. Farmer Giles. And it's, this is, so it's written as a, a Middle English translation of an older yeah. Latin. <laughs> yeah. You know, back when England was. That's, a, yeah, that's, that's, actually so another, that's actually another theme that you see 
in Tolkien was every every once in a while he'll say, you know, this version of the story, which came from this other version of the story. <laughs> right, you know, right, because, know. because he knows so much about the origins of stories and how they changed over time. Right. But every once in a while, he throws in these little things. Well, there was the Red Book, of you know, and then it's Bilbo interpreted it, and then Frodo interpreted it, and then it got... Sam did this other stuff, right? So, the, yeah, that kind of a thing where he's saying this story is kind of... Uh, evolved from these earlier stories. Right, so Giles of Ham, well, his full name is Egidius uh, Acarbutus Julius Agricola de Hamo. For <laughs> people, were ri- people were richly endowed with names in those days long ago. <laughs> so so he already sets up the, 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 the prehistory of the history of, right. this, of this story that he's now telling... And back when, uh, you know, so this is post-Roman re- references to then the, what the vulgar tongue was, the vulgar <laughs> right. version of was. So he just became Giles of Ham. And, right. Uh, everybody had big, long names, and but he's just going to deal with the, the, the vulgar tongue. Uh, even his, his dog, uh, who couldn't even speak dog Latin. And his dog could speak, apparently. Yeah, yeah, exactly. As, as could most dogs of the day. Well, okay, here right. we go. So he just puts that in there, and that's it's understood that his dog Garm will be uh, will be will be talking. And Farmer Giles is one of those guys who would just rather be left alone and. Uh, until a little big giant walks in. <laughs> there's a giant and there's a dragon. And Giles has got, first he has a blunderbuss, right? And which is? Which is a very primitive gun. Yeah, it's like right. pre-shotgun. Yeah. Right. Which, okay, which, so which is, is greatly il- illustrated in some of the older cartoons, and you would see them going around with the big end. Yeah, right, right, like right. A, a shotgun trumpet. that has, looks like a, tr- <laughs> looks uh-huh. like a trumpet. Exactly, but this is the thing. It's it's. I I get the sense that it's just it's like post Arthurian uh, England, you know, after mm-hmm. the after the Romans have left. Yet the blunderbuss was bus was from the like 18th century. Yeah, yeah. So I, well, not 18th, but yeah, much later. Yeah, like 16th century maybe. I, um, I was through. It, it, I mean, it was it, it was you know. It, and like he says, it was already out of favor. It was already out of date because other guns had already uh, taken no. its place. Oh, okay. So yeah. So it's. Much so better. I don't know where yeah. I don't know where to put this because yeah. I feel like. I, but the whole time I don't know. I just sort of ignore that historical part about the blunderbuss. Yeah. Uh, and but it still feels like you know I don't know tenth century or something. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to nail Tolkien down on things like that. Like for example, with the Lord of the Rings, um, they're smoking tobacco. Well, tobacco comes from the Americas, so it has to be after 1492, you know? So the, anyway, so yes, he has this blunderbuss, and he uses it against this giant. So the, and the giant it was is just he a dope. He mistakenly uses it against the giant. He, right, and the giant is mistakenly there. Yeah. He's just, just like he doesn't know that around. people are, are the, the, I mean, people, these villages there. Mm-hmm. He's nearsighted and uh, dumb uh-huh. and deaf. And uh, starts tramping around. The Garm, the dog, calls out his master. The master right. comes out with his blunderbuss, sh- shotgun full of uh, just bric-a-brac. Right. 
Right, he just, which he just shoved down the right. Yeah, just a bunch of, yeah, just junk, nails, bones. <laughs> and uh, shoots him in the face. Now, the giant doesn't even know he's shot. Yeah, he's just like, what are these biting flies? <laughs> he's like, this is a terrible, this is know, a terrible this is place a bad to place. be. Bad place for I'm a vacation. Out of here. Scoops up a couple of sheep on the way home. Right. Goes home and then shares the story of uh, what he considers to be actually a pretty lovely land with no people. And cattle just lying, just there for the picking. So as he shares this tale, it gets, uh, the word gets out to, uh, what's his name? Christophilix? Christophilix. Yeah. Christophilix. Christophilix. Yeah, the dragon who says, okay, sounds good to me. Check it out. Yeah. So the dragon comes down to try to take what he can. Do what dragons do. Do what dragons do. Take what he can out of the neighborhood. And since... Farmer Giles had proved the hero against the uh, (laughs) giant. He's beloved. And the king decides, wow, this is a great hero. I'm going to go give him a present. You know, so he gives him an old sword. Just a, yes, just some <laughs> old, rusty, rusty old, old trinket. Yes. He says, like, it doesn't mean anything to me, but to some little uh, country noob, he might think he might find it interesting. And... But, but also, the king is trying to fluff, shuff, whatever the word is, <laughs> his own responsibility onto Farmer Giles. He's saying, you know, now I've given you a sword. Now you're commissioned by the king. Now you go fight the dragon. R- right. Okay. Yeah. Yes, and he's like, I got me a sword. Look at that. Isn't that cool? And then everyone, so so, so now he's been built up by the townspeople, and he's mm-hmm. enjoyed being built up as the savior of the town. Right. Yeah, who they wouldn't? say, uh, Out we, you got, go. we got a giant, and we, we no, know. we got a dragon. Now. We got a dragon, yeah. and uh, we have nobody better to deal with this than our man, Ham. Yeah. Giles. Yes. Giles. And, and Giles. And he ends up getting, he gets some like. Fake armor. Fake or Very crappy armor. <laughs> just ring, what they call ring mail, I guess, where you have a bunch of rings sewed onto a outfit. Right. And, it's a clunky old helmet. And yeah. then he covers it up with a felt hat. And, a, and uh, but, but he's, he. Goes out there. Go, yeah, you know, he's, that's the he's thing. Pretty he's brave, like, he, yeah. right? But he covers up his armor and his helmet with some sort of crazy-looking like bathrobe kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, and he goes out there because he doesn't really want to show people that he, he doesn't want to look like a knight. He doesn't want to look like a knight when he's approaching right. the dragon. He right. wants to look like just some get guy. a little yeah. closer before yeah. the fighting starts. That's another interesting thing: is this whole idea of conversations with the dragon. Uh-huh. You know, like uh, Bilbo has conversations with Smog. So it's a similar thing oh, right. where, where Giles is going and like negotiating with before the, the confrontation. Before the confrontation. Now, but when yeah. when does when does the sword reveal itself as something other than a rusty old sword? Oh yeah, that's a good question because it turns out to be right when you right when you get within I don't know five miles. Yeah, it pops out of its uh, scabbard yeah. and can't go back in. And right then, and right and then somebody else who uh, Giles really can't read Mm -hmm. somebody else says let me look at this thing and he read what does it say on there yeah it's it's like some magical sword that will will always hit called the tail biter right yeah, so here it's... Uh, oh, Cautamorax. Cautamorax. Yeah. A dragon-slaying sword, right. <laughs> and so he can't get it back in its sheath. Right. Because it's it's possessed with these powers. So the, the deal is we're many generations away from when it was a standard practice to for knights to fight 
dragons. Yeah, yeah. And so current knights have gone soft. Yeah. In fact, in the, the history was every year the bravest knight would go out and bring back a, a dragon, dragon tail, tail right. for a feast. Yeah. And so so they got so soft that now now what do they do instead? Yeah, they had to bring fish or something. No, 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 no. <laughs> no they, they bake a cake oh, in the shape right. yes. of a, right. the shape of a dragon's is. tail. Yeah. So they have the same ceremony. Which makes it even softer. Oh, it is so soft. <laughs> well, it tastes better. <laughs> and, yeah, and they said, oh, it actually tastes better. So everybody's on board <laughs> with the idea. But yeah. so the tradition of having this dragon's tail feast, yeah. which is now cake, is many generations old, back when tail biter was a thing. Right. And so, and back when knights were brave. Yes. And so, I mean, the whole the whole knight slaying, dragon slaying, this is, it's the knight dragon slaying story as parody. Yes. Right. And the knights, they're all knights are all these soft guys <laughs> so, wearing velvet, eating cake. You know, they're they're, exactly. they're pitiful. And Farmer Giles is the brave guy who goes out there. You know, he's not a warrior or anything, but he's he's clever, and he has a quick wit. And he, you know, does what needs to be done. And he's got Garm, his dog. Right. So when he, yeah. so you finally, so the the dragon's like, uh, Sue, uh, looking for me, bub? And he's like, Well, no, not <laughs> no, really. My not. my dog ran off, and yeah, I better, I just maybe I better go. And then the the the, the tail biter just sort of comes out. And, <laughs> yeah. And he's makes him look brave. Sorry, and... dude, you're gonna fight. <laughs> <laughs> right. and, it, and, and it hits him in his uh, in his wing, so it kind of hurts. Yeah. Yes, and he can't drag it. He, he can't, he, right, he can't, can't fly, fly off. Right, and so they negotiate a ransom. Mm-hmm. All right, all right. So now I won't cut your head off or tail off or head off. But you have to go back and bring us back all the stuff. Bring as back if all the gold because his, his, right. his name was what is it? Crystal something? Crystal Phylax. Crystal Phylax. The rich he calls himself. Yeah. And so, all right. So you're sitting. I don't know. Why these, why are these, what are these dragons always doing sitting on mountains of well, treasure? That's, that's an interesting question because <laughs> there's a <laughs> tradition awesome. that, that a tradition. the. the, the the fact that you sat on a pile of treasure turns you into a dragon. There's a kind of a... All right. Yeah. An uh, anti-greed message yeah, there. Yeah, that kind of thing. That's a theme that Lewis develops in the okay. Chronicles of Narnia. But, yeah. But after that, right? So, so Giles is a hero once again. Yeah. Hero once again. And now, and the king comes in and he goes, oh, by the way, when the ransom comes in. It's mine. It's mine because, you know, <laughs> I'm the right. king and all. Yeah. And, you're but but me. trust me, I'll cut you in for a little taste. Yeah, right. Give you a little slice of that. Yeah. And so Dragon doesn't come back. Right. And <laughs> so he gathers up the knights to yeah. confront him. And he's really upset at Giles. He uh-huh. just thinks that Giles is just, he's out there. And he's not being... Who, the king? He, he, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. king is oh, really... He's on. like, so... You know, my, you know, are you going to get my money or what? Right. So I'm going to go ahead and make him go on this trek with these these knights. Uh-huh. With these foppish knights. It, uh, so they get there, and it doesn't take long before the fops flop. Run away. <laughs> yes. And it's back to... Giles and, and the dragon. Giles and the dragon. And, uh, and the sword, the magical sword. Yeah. Can't forget the magical well, sword. The sword is kind of doing all the work, but yes. nobody realizes that. And the dragon gets tamed again. And, uh, yeah, and, and eventually Giles gets the, uh, gets the treasure. And, you know, the king is kind of left out of it. And, and yes, yeah, so, so the, he finally goes up there, the, gets the dragon mm-hmm. to carry his own 
to carry all the treasure. Back, treasure. Carry all that treasure. Back to the village. And then he back puts to the village and not the king. Back to the village and not the king. Mm-hmm. Puts the dragon in the barn. Right. Now I guess <laughs> the dragon is just so intimidated by because he's this at this point he's not injured. It's just like yeah, just intimidated Giles by the, just sword. Got the yeah. sword. Sword, and then the king shows up right and says, uh, "Where's where's, where's my tr- where's, where's my stuff?" Right. Yeah, and right. Did, I mean, did he give him? He gave him something. I I, th- I think he gave him a little bit. Yeah, I'm not remembering the details on that part of it. But uh, but he, he, right, but he he has to summon Chrysophylax to, to to run off the king. Right, yeah. right, and then Chrysophylax comes out on his behalf, mm-hmm. yeah. chases them off, and then as a result of that, lets he lets the dragon go. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. like, all right, I guess we're even now. Well, after several, after many years of him just hanging out with with with, with and the king and knowing and they that become he pretty good friends. Yeah, the king can't pressure this Giles again, and uh, so he becomes. Uh, the, the head of his little mini kingdom. Yeah. Until what? The king passes and he becomes the king of the middle kingdom. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What, what I like, I like the relationship. It's like they never really fight. They're, they're just sort of play fighting almost. And, and it's like this, this back and forth and and uh, trickery and stuff. But it's never like really a pitched battle. No. It's it's a very it's a very silly take on the whole knight yeah, and it's, dragon. It's very, right. It's very funny. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. it's, it's very humorous, and and you know, it's always the act is always misinterpreted by the other person. Is yes, and at the end of it, when you get to, I mean, I guess the dragon flies off to talk to the giant, and finally tells the giant that it wasn't flies that kept you out of that country. It was uh, <laughs> Farmer Giles and his blunderbuss. <laughs> that's, that's right. The giant does funny figure, figure it out. But does he even understand? <laughs> yeah, His giants are always stupid. He's such yeah. a dope. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, there's also, well, actually, back to Twain again, the country rube that gets one over yeah. on the rich and powerful. Yes, exactly. Right? Yes, so that's, he, a, yeah. that's a good yeah. That, that's a good point, yeah. too, because that shows up in a lot of Tolkien's writing, yeah, it, too. Is it yeah. like, you know, the blustery, uh, yeah. powerful one? Is... Yeah, it's, it's the, the, the uh, Butterbur, who's the uh, innkeeper at the Prancing Pony, turns out to be way more intelligent than anybody ever expected. Uh, that's, that's that kind of a mm-hmm. thing. The, the, the simple country guy isn't as stupid as you think he is. Yeah. So even in the short story, J.R.R. Tolkien has his... Uh, way with words to tell a tale that interests and uh, throws you into this wonderful little world. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's it's fun. It, it is fun. It's interesting. Yeah. All right. So, uh, anything else on Tolkien or have you got something else for us here? Well, I wanted I, I, I wanted to ask a little bit more because I mm-hmm. heard that and, 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 and this is, I don't know where I heard this, but wasn't it sort of like a uh, friendly competition between C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien with the writing of uh, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings and his uh, Chronicles of Narnia? Well, that's an interesting question. My understanding is that Tolkien hated the Chronicles of Narnia. <laughs> uh, that, he thought, that he thought they were too hastily written, that there wasn't enough... Even though that work, was his tight buddy? Yeah. That, he, that there, there wasn't enough work done to, you know, to kind of set the tone and the background and all that and and they were just they were just kind of quickly written, and that was the end of that. Um, so there there was some conflict between them over that point. Because uh, I mean, Tolkien, you think about it, 
he's been inventing these worlds and these languages since he was a little kid. Mm -hmm. And the, the amount of thought and preparation that went into the Lord of the Rings is just astonishing. Right. You know, yeah, and, I can, yeah, I can. I just, I, I just right. imagine like big, huge uh, charts of lineage and lands <laughs> right. and stuff like that. Before you could even get, you know, you'd have before to you even write a word. Yeah, yeah, right. You'd have to, you'd have to write this pe these people's story, write, write everybody's individual story, figure out how they all mix together, and then start to write your book. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's pretty. Cool. But it was also that C. C. S. Lewis was so much more prolific in his publishing. Yeah, he wrote. Right? Well, he wrote so many more books, right? Yes, he wrote a lot. I don't. I don't know if you were compare the word count if they would be that different. But uh, yeah, Lewis wrote a lot of, a lot of stuff. All right. So one last thing is, do you so in the spirit of the PNC shortcut to the classics? Right. Do you think that these two short stories, for a person unfamiliar with the Lord of the Rings, would give you a fair sense of hmm. Tolkien and his? style and his uh you know the well, not the scope but uh i i guess yeah his 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 style and content that's a good question i would say farmer giles gives you a taste of what the hobbit is like because the mm -hmm. hobbit is very silly and has a dragon and all oh, that kind of stuff yeah. so so farmer giles will give you a taste of the hobbit but Neither of the like, if you take the two of these and put them in a blender, then you'd get something sort of like the Lord of the Rings because the Lord <laughs> right. of the Rings is much more serious. Yeah, I think it's a fairly good taste mm -hmm. for yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. of Tolkien's style and yeah. temperament. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, we could ask to say, did the death of Ivan Elliot give a taste of uh, War and Peace in any? Oh, yeah. And, and and well, I w I would say, well, his his genius definitely came through mm -hmm. you know I mean death of Ivan Ilyich every word is placed in the the best possible place you could put it and and the the meanings are just uh, endless in that and, um, yeah I think I think the thing that I would say about these two stories is neither of them have the depth of the Lord of the Rings yes yes but but in terms of style and and kind of getting a taste. Yeah. I, I think they do give yeah, a style yeah, and a so. taste, but they don't. They don't have the depth. Yeah, yeah, but right. Which yeah. I think is going to be the case with all of our shortcuts to the classics. It's like giving a little bit of taste of what's what's coming up. Like, all right, here's Billy Bud. Wait till you see Moby Dick. It's a little incident, but it's not the grand Billy scale. Billy Bud does not prepare you for a hundred pages about the whiteness of the whale. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. But, right. but, but it these does two, prepare right. you pretty good. Yeah. These two short stories will, will whet your appetite to delve into uh, uh, this incredible fantasy world. Yeah. All right. Well, that, that, was, that, that was fun. Uh, do we have time for a for mailbag? Yeah, we just got a couple right. minutes. It's going to be more. quick. Yeah. So, Comic Sans writes, I was listening to your show on Edgar Allan Poe. I know you guys are in or near Baltimore. Have you been to the Poe House? Well, I got a question that precedes that question, which is Comic Sans is a font, but this guy is Comic Sans. What yeah, is, what is, I know. What is that? I don't know who this guy is. I, know. I don't know. Maybe he's a, he's a font. He's a lover, font guy. Maybe okay. his name is Sandusky. Sandusky. He's okay. a graphic artist. So, uh, yeah. so I, when I saw that, I was like, we didn't talk about that during the show. We did we, a whole show. We on went. The, on we the went Poe. to. We went to the Poe House for the purpose of doing the show. Yes. And then never brought it up. I know. And so yes, we did. Comic Sans. Yes, we did. And it was it was an interesting trip because, for one thing, 
It's a teeny tiny little house. That the bedroom, like if you put a queen size bed in there, there would be no room. It would be the whole room. <laughs> and remember that little house was actually bigger than the house that he actually stayed in because they added That's right. a That's little right. Uh, <laughs> a rare addition to That's right. it. It was a so tiny boy. place. And there, right. I mean, there going was up little... the stairs was just uh, yeah, it was, it was, shoulder to shoulder. Yeah, you, you, like you were rubbing against the walls on both sides. <laughs> and the little parlor, you know, where you would entertain guests, it was tiny. <laughs> Not a lot of guests. Not a lot of guests. Tiny little fireplace, tiny little room. And what were there, uh, just two floors? Yeah. Yeah. The, just on front room, you know, just the, the two rooms down there and two rooms upstairs, and yeah. but plus the add-on. But that was yeah, that was it. And so from there we went to his grave, and there were two of those. What was the what was the deal with the the two the two graves? Yeah, that was interesting. It's like why why was he buried twice? Because he was buried in one place, and then like a. Uh, and, then, and then after he became famous, yeah, yeah somebody came along and said he needs a better. He grave needs a better that. grave. And then they gave him a the a, one with his face monitor, on it right, and stuff right, like yeah. that. But they still kept the old one there. So and what what's the church, uh, Longinus? Oh, uh, you're the. Uh, so, or, or what's um, the, what's um, at the corner of? Green and and yeah. monument. The, it's it's near the Baltimore uh, medical and, facility. I think it's Lexington. Or Saratoga. Yeah, yeah, it's right, but it's right, it's right by the hospital. Yeah, there, yeah. the University of Maryland Medical Center. Right, Westminster uh, Hall. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I knew you. I knew you'd do it. So yes, Comic Sans, we did go. We should have brought it up. I know. We and uh, yeah, he was only he was only there two years, and he didn't die there. He came back on a second visit and died. Right. Yeah. Right. That's why I never knew. But that the, was the place where he supposedly wrote the first several of those great short stories that. Became um, famous and published, and uh, he was actually more of a poetry writer before that, yeah. right? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he got his bones there, and uh, and the woman who was running there. the woman who was running the place just knew poetry yeah. yeah. up she and down, great. backwards and forwards. She was yeah. really good. Yeah. Yeah. If you're in town, you want a little couple of hours to do as a, a little. Yeah, go check out the poem museum tomorrow. Right. And just to just to let folks know, you know, if you go down to Richmond to their poem museum. That museum is totally rebuilt. That museum, uh, it has none of the historic parts where Poe grew up and lived. Hmm. Uh, so, because that was all destroyed. Uh, and this is, and there's one in Philadelphia, and also I think there's one in uh, Philadelphia. He also lived in Boston and New York, but the Philadelphia one is the same thing. So Baltimore has the most authentic, historic place. Okay. Right. Very interesting. Very All good. Right. Good job, gentlemen. Okay. Cheers. Cheers. Crowhill here. Thanks so much for listening to Beer and Conversation with Pigweed and Crowhill. If you like the show, please tell a friend or share it in whatever way seems appropriate to you. We also have a website, beerandconversation.com. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can reach us at pigweedshow at gmail.com. Thanks so much. See you next time.